Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education, entertainment, or film across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Today we're here with Robin Hauser-Reynolds, who is the filmmaker behind Code, Debugging the Gender Gap. Robin, welcome to the EdCast. Thank you very much, Matt. So Robin, a little bit about this this advocacy role that the film takes in the great issue that is plaguing not just the country but the world in terms of like what is what is happening right now in terms of female minority representation um, in the sort of like software engineer world. Give us a little bit of framing about why you took on this issue and then what you sort of started out with and what you eventually learned as, as you've started to make this film and then share the film. Well, my daughter was studying computer science in college. She was a sophomore, and she's always been a very academic child. Um, she's always had confidence academically. And for the first time in her academic career, she called home with certain doubts about her ability to succeed in a subject. Um, she told me there was only one other woman in her classes in computer science, that she felt for some reason that she didn't belong, that all the men in the class, even though these were prerequisite level classes um, to start with, that they all knew so much more about it than she did. Um, at the same time, there were newspapers coming across our doorstep saying, hey, college grads, you want a job out of school? You better know something about computer science. And then the White House issued a report saying by 2020, there'd be one million unfilled computer science-related jobs in the United States alone. And I thought, what's going on here? Why do we have such a supply and demand imbalance? So I began to look into it. So talk about where you start that process, because I imagine there's a lot of sort of cultural components, and then there's a lot of, it. you talk about the confidence component as well. Um, schools, this is an education podcast, have a lot to do with prepping people for learning the skills needed for coding. Talk a little about how you started the, the analysis of where is this problem beginning. Well, the first things we did, we got into the trenches, and we spoke to people who were women and people of color, um, in the industry. So we went to Spotify. That was our first, uh, one of our first interviews was at Spotify. Um, and spoke to a woman named Lynn Root there, uh, who eventually didn't, didn't end up making it into the documentary, but um, they had a PR agent there that was part of Outcast Agency. And I'd done my homework, I have my MBA, so I handed him a proposal, a film proposal, and it was really more to sort of distract him so I could do my interview without any interference. Um, but it turned out to be a really good lesson in why you do your homework and why you prepare, because by the time I had finished the interview, he had read the entire proposal, and he said to me, this is amazing, this story needs to be told. Where else do you wanna go? I can help get you into Facebook, I can help you get into Yelp, I can get you into GitHub. So that was a huge break for us. And um, the more we spoke to people, the more we got in and had interviews in these, in these different tech companies, um, the more I realized this was a really complicated problem. And that it wasn't just about sexism in the industry, it was actually a cultural problem. There's a big issue with stereotypes. And um, there are very few role models. So women, girls, people of color, you hear the old adage, you cannot be what you cannot see. And I think this is especially true in tech. And when the faces that you see are predominantly 25-year-old uh, white male and Asian male, it's really hard for a young woman or a woman of color to feel like that she could be in the industry and be accepted in the industry. So you sort of reverse engineered. You started with people who were in the industry, looked back, and then and then was it initially you you knew that this needed to get out there, you needed to make a film about this, and, and what were people's general perceptions about this? Was this a known problem that the world knew about, or was this something that you were kind of slowly saying, hey, listen, um, there's a problem here, and I'm going to let everyone know about it? 
I think that the world didn't necessarily know it was an issue, but without a doubt, women in tech knew. Women in tech only had to look around at the table and realize that they were one of just a few, a few women there. Um, people of color especially knew that and have always felt marginalized from tech. Um, but it was, um, at the same time, I wasn't going to make a vanilla film. It was really important to me that I expose what was really going on. Um, and yet I knew that my goal, that our goals as a documentary team was really to try to inspire more girls and women, uh, people of color, to come into the industry. So that's a fine line to walk, right? I mean, how do you expose the issue and say, look, this is what's going on, um, and still inspire people to get involved? Luckily, in some ways, um, it's a huge economic issue. And I say that that's lucky only because pretty much everybody looks up from their iPhones when you start talking about money. And I think that, that the fact that it is such a big economic issue really helps bring on more of the social issue, which is that everybody deserves to have access to tech and to these tech jobs. Um, so that, that we had that playing for us, which was, which was great. So what, are the, some of, what, so what are some of the statistics that you use when you talk about how it is an economic issue? Like what are some of the numbers that, are, that resonate with people who go, oh, wow, this, it, this is something that we need to devote time and money and energy towards? There are 500,000 unfilled computer science-related jobs in the U.S. this very minute. And by the year 2020, there will be more than a million unfilled computer science-related jobs. That amounts to about a $4 billion issue, economic issue for the United States. Um, so that means that we're, you know, of course, we're trying to bring people in around the H-1 visa. Um, it, it, it creates a really big problem. Um, but not only that, think about the fact that if you have sort of just a homogeneous set of people that are making our products, you're going to have products like Facebook and Snapchat. And those are great products that are used by billions of people. But if you want to solve some real world problems, if you want to try to find clean drinking water, if you want a kid who lives in the inner city to find a safe way home at night, um, then if, if, if you're looking for um, low-income housing and you've got three kids and can't really get out of the house and you want to call an application to help you get housing, these are issues that are real and that are out there. And there aren't a lot of apps to help people like that. If you have greater socioeconomic diversity, if you have greater diversity in general, then you're going to be able to create products that serve a greater breadth of humanity. Um, the airbag is a good example. When the airbag was first designed, it was designed by a group of um, white men. And though they probably thought to design it so that it could handle different weights, they didn't think about the different physical frame of a woman and of a child. And therefore, the first airbag prototype killed women and children. When voice activation came out, uh, they didn't think to test it with a woman's voice, so a woman couldn't be heard. And when video tracking was aligned with voice recognition, um, women couldn't be seen, and they never tested video tracking on people of color, and therefore dark-skinned people couldn't be seen. Wow. I mean, these are all great examples. Uh, the movie is Code Debugging the Gender Gap. Um, question about how transformation happens. So there's typically an advocacy campaign, which is what this film's been doing, and then there's also an intervention component. So since the film has been out, it came out last year, um, a little bit about what you've seen in terms of, even if inches move, moving towards growth and towards uh, betterment, what have you seen that have that has been successful in getting more female and more minorities into the, this career? I walked into a few startups early on when I was doing informational interviews, 
um, off camera, and I had people tell me, even CEOs and people tell me, I don't think this is much of a story. I don't think this is really worthy of a documentary. And being nothing if not persistent and stubborn, I we pushed forward and um, really felt like there was an issue here. Um, Tracy Chow at Pinterest had already been calling out to um, tech companies saying, hey, show us your numbers. There's a problem in tech. Um, and so we interviewed Tracy, and I was really convinced that there was a big issue going on when we spoke with her. So as we sort of you know, moved forward with the documentary in that way, um, it seemed as though there were more and more newspapers that were coming out then with um, articles about this issue. And um, we were, our timing was excellent. Our timing was excellent. I, I would like to think that some of the articles, we were one of the few documentaries that actually had a lot of articles written about it before it was even finished. Mm -hmm. The film wasn't even out there, and we had articles in The Chronicle and um, USA Today. And so by the time that we did launch at Tribeca 2015, um, we had an enormous amount of press, and I think that everybody, the, the environment was ripe for this issue. And we were the first ones that really unapologetically laid it out like it is, um, and showed some pretty staggering statistics, and showed uh, one or two examples of some pretty egregious, um, misogynistic situations. A lot of parents listen to this podcast, a lot of parents maybe with kids in grade school or high school, and they're maybe... They have daughters as well taking coding classes. What, what is it that you would say as, as a parent and also as now an expert in this field and a filmmaker and a, a storyteller, um, that when this podcast ends, what can they do to help move this, this subject into a, a much better place for, for girls, for minority students, uh, that they can have that confidence, that they can be part of a culture where coding is not something that you know, white men only do? What is it that you would give as an advice as a, as a mother and as a filmmaker? Well, first thing I just want to say is that there is an educational version of the film um, that's appropriate for middle school and younger. Um, it doesn't have as much colorful language. It's not the director's cut. Um, I think anybody above middle school should see the full festival cut. When but you say director's cut, you can just say my cut. My, okay. <laughs> but I, I, so that I think that's important to know. So um, there is an educational version that is really all about inspiration uh, and doesn't necessarily show some of the um, challenges that women are going to face when they're in the industry. Um, the number one most important thing that we as parents can give both fathers and mothers, our daughters, is confidence. They have to believe that they can do anything they set their mind to, that they can um, be anyone they want to be. I think that's enormously important. Unfortunately, in the history of education, we all have our biases, and teachers tend to be biased. Um, we tend to give more scientific explanations to our sons than we do to our daughters. Um, uh, we tend to track kids. Well, you're very creative, therefore you might not be great at math. I remember when somebody told me that algebra might be hard for me because I was more creative, I'd be good at languages. Therefore, when algebra got hard, I stopped trying. And I had to write a you know, 20-page thesis on Proust in French, and well, it stayed up a couple nights in a row to do it, right? Because I thought, well, no, no, I'm good at this. I'm supposed to be good at this. And this is what Carol Dweck discusses as a mindset. It's a really important idea that women in particular, if they believe that a certain skill is innate or has to be innate, that you're born with it, they tend to back off. Whereas if a woman knows that she can get there with hard work, she will pursue. So I think it's really changing the mindset of computer science, that it's not an innate ability, that it's something that anybody that wants to teach themselves how to code or to be good at math or science, STEM, can be. 
Robin, as the filmmaker, you sort of become the de facto champion of this cause. Uh, someone who is not just putting out the film and moving on to your next project. This is something that you're passionate about, something that you're continuing on now that the film has even been released. Talk a little bit about what you're doing now, continuing, and what people can do in terms of bringing screenings to their towns, their homes, their schools. Yeah, so the, the film is available on TUG, T-U-G-G dot com, um, which is a community uh, screening ability you can you can host a screening in your community at the AMC or Sundance Theater. Um, we're all, it, the attention that the film has gotten internationally has really surprised us. Um, it is screened in over 16 countries. We have it now um, subtitles in French and Spanish and pretty soon in German. Um, so it's gotten wide reach. BBC Persia bought the rights to screen it in Iran. And we never in our wildest dreams thought that it would have this type of reach. We knew that we were making a film that would be of interest to Silicon Valley, perhaps Silicon Alley, maybe Silicon Swamp, but not necessarily um, Iran or, or all over the world. So that's been really rewarding to us. Um, you can host screenings. As I said, there's an educational version of the film as well. There's an international broadcast cut. Um, we have distributors pretty much all over the world now. And soon, maybe by fall, um, it'll be available on streaming. But you're right. I mean, it is about championing the effort. It's about continuing to speak about it. So um, every chance I get, I, I will do campus screenings. Um, we're hosting a lot of screenings um, at uh, companies uh, such as Comcast, J.P. Morgan Chase, Capital One Bank. Um, so this, this has been interesting to us to realize that actually um, this is an issue that is not just about tech and that we have touched upon um, issues that women and people of color are dealing with across industries. And I think that's one reason why the film has gotten the attention and um, the reach that it's gotten. Robin Hauser Reynolds, the filmmaker behind Code Debugging the Gender Gap. You can learn all sorts about the movie, screenings, resources, the press kit at codedocumentary.com. Robin, we're really lucky to have you here on the Harvard Ed campus today for a screening of our own. So thank you so much for coming. And thank you for being on the EdCast. Thank you, Matt. My pleasure. This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening.